There's some stories, I'm sure, when you get together this holiday season, this Christmas at dinner, you'll tell the same story that you told last year just because it's so good and you can't pass it up. Even though you've heard it a thousand times, you'll continue to tell that story. For me, there's some stories that are etched in my mind, like when my wife and I start telling stories to each other. Invariably, what will come out is, hey, you remember that time um, at New Year's Eve when we were all sitting around the table and, and Richard convinced you, convinced me, that the frozen propane bottle wouldn't really stick to your tongue and that you could actually do the whole Christmas story thing, but nothing would happen. And I said, no, I've seen Christmas story. I know what happens. I know that your tongue gets stuck. And, and, he, and he convinced me that, no, absolutely not. And you remember the time that you ripped off half your taste buds in like 30 seconds because you did that. And everybody made fun of you for weeks, and you were tired of this, you know, because you have broken tongue. That story always comes up. I don't know why. (laughs) Or my wife and I would talk all the time, like, how crazy was it that the day after we got married, we walk into LAX, we're going to our honeymoon, and there's standing my ex-girlfriend. That story comes out all the time. I mean, that's a true story. That literally happened. That literally happened. There's some stories that just play over and over and over in your mind. I remember the moment that both of my daughters were born. That, that I got to hold them and, and I actually got to cut the cord. And, and, and I mean, I'm tearing up thinking about it because it was such a joyful experience. I remember the story, and we talk about this all the time too, the time... When we walked in the room, when we knew we wanted to do the whole foster to adopt thing, and we met Jacob for the first time, it was like something went off in our hearts, and and that was it for us. We just knew that this kid was ours. We knew that he was specifically ours. We have these stories, we have these moments in our lives that they keep on replaying in our heads because they're pivotal in our lives. Christmas is that way. Christmas is the pivot on which the entire story of humanity turns. Christmas is that way. It's the story that is not just some cute fairy tale. It's rooted in historical, verifiable fact. It doesn't start once upon a time in a land far off. The story starts in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. It was a very particular time, a very particular place. It wasn't just some fairy tale, but it was a real story that shaped the world. And many times we don't even realize that. So tonight I want to tell you a story that has huge implications. I want to tell you this story that is the pivot that changes the story of humanity. The story that should replay in our minds at least once a year. And that's why we all have this knee-jerk reaction to come to Christmas Eve story because, or Christmas Eve service because we know that this story is important to humanity. That it's not just important so that you feel less guilty when you just rip presents open tomorrow. That, oh, I went to church. It's cool. It's, but because you have this knee-jerk reaction to come to church because there is this huge implications found within this story. And so as we dig into it this evening, it's a story about a people, hundreds of years before Jesus would ever be born, a people that are in exile because they have done things that were wrong, because they had displeased God, because God said, hey, I want to be with you and I want to give you my law, and they didn't live by it at all. These people were the Israelites, and in the time of the prophet Isaiah, they were exiled. 
They went into exile in Babylon. They were ripped away from their hometown. But there was this voice singing in the desert that something was about to change. Something was going to happen. And it started in these words that, um, that Huvenal read for us. Isaiah 7.14 Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call Him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. We have to realize how important this is to the story. God with us. Because up until this point, God had either been on a mountain or God had been following the tabernacle, or God had been in the temple, in the Holy of the Holies, and the priests would go in there one time a year. But yet, there's a different story being told here, that this day, a child would be born, and it would be God with us. There would be something different about this time. It's a different story to be told. And the story continues in Isaiah 9, uh, 6-7, it says, For us... For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and will be called Counselor, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. See, Israel at this point had known kings. They had had kings. And when the kings were doing good, and when the kings were following the Lord's law and were, were a part of the covenant, then Israel was doing well. But when the kings were disobeying, when the kings were not listening, when the kings were going after their own selfish gain, Israel did not do well. This story is saying, wait a second, there's something new coming. This child that's going to be born is going to be a king. And in fact, the government will rest on his shoulders. His greatness will increase. There will be no end. This king is different. It's not the old kings that we knew in the past. It's not that old story that, that you've been told. Something eternal is coming. Something that will last forever is coming These people couldn't even begin to fathom the implications of this kind of Messiah. This Messiah would not just be for the broken and the oppressed of the Jewish people, but it would be for all people. This Messiah would be for the whole world. This Messiah would break the power of sin and guilt. This Messiah would face the devil himself and defeat evil. This kind of Messiah would build a new kingdom and a new kind of people and a church. This kind of Messiah would point the way to the Father in a profound and simple way. Christmas is the pivot in which the story of humanity turns. And this story would have dramatic twists and turns. See, when Jesus was born and when he began to grow up and start his ministry, he began to do really strange things like he would heal the sick. He began to do things like lounge and eat with prostitutes. He would do things like go to the home of tax collectors and say, bring all your friends, I want to be with you. And this is what God looked like? He wasn't pure enough. He wasn't clean enough. He wasn't up to the religious standards of the elite. He wasn't anything which a Messiah should look like. But he loved the poor He had pity on tax collectors. He went to the margins and the outside and he made his home with them. This kind of Messiah was a threat 
to the religious elite of the day. This Messiah would be crucified and raised from the dead three days later. And I love the way that the author John puts the birth story of Jesus. And this evening, I want to dig through that for a moment. John chapter 1 starts this way. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word, I'm sorry, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Through Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. See, John is starting his story the same way as the creation of the entire world. In the beginning was the light, and the light burst forth in the darkness. John is starting his story the same way because he realizes that the birth of Jesus is not just another baby. It's not just another child, but it's a new beginning for the entire humanity. It's a new beginning for the whole human race. It's a new beginning, it's a new way of life that you could start brand new over again. The Creator is taking on flesh and walking among us. It's the pivot on which the story of humanity turns. Jesus was present at the creation of the world. The very same light that burst forth in the creation burst forth when Jesus was born. In John 8, a little bit later in the book of John, Jesus would say this about himself. He would say, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Maybe you're here and you've experienced some sort of darkness. You know that. You've been there. Even when you utter the word darkness, when I say that word, it has certain implications in your life, and you you know what that is. You've been there before. See, what I love about this is Jesus says, if you're walking with me, darkness, no matter how dark it is, will never overcome my light. In John chapter 1, verse 5, it says, the darkness has not overcome it, cannot overtake it. It's not possible for darkness to overcome light. There's a lot of false hope in this world. Maybe you've experienced some of that. And it may seem like you're good, and maybe you're living in some of that false hope. And it might seem like no darkness can overcome you, but it does. It comes again. It's there again. And you've been there. But the author of this story says, no, this is a little bit different. With this Savior, with Jesus, with this baby, darkness will not overcome the light that he brings. When you've surrendered to him, no darkness can touch you. When you have the light of life, Jesus is with you, and that darkness can never touch you. The author John would go on to say, yet to all who did receive him, this is verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in him, to his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The reason why this story is the pivot on which the story of humanity turns is it because in Jesus, he recreates everything. He recreates this world. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, one of the things that that it says about Jesus is that his intention is to make an all-new humanity. That when you're in him, you're a new creation. And that he wants to make you brand new again. Forget your past. 
You're not defined by that any longer. The things that people used to call you are no longer relevant when you follow Jesus. The things that you used to beat yourself up about are no longer important because you follow Jesus. Because he's adopted you into sonship and daughtership. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You are no longer your past. You are no longer a failure. You are no longer an addict. You are now his precious and loved child, his kids. The story, this story reminds us that a deep and abiding love was born that day. That that night when Jesus was born, that love came into the world. Not just the type of love like I like you and you like me. Not the kind of love like I really love Del Taco Tacos. Not that type of love. But this agape love that gives more than it can ever possibly receive. This type of love that gives so much that he would eventually give his life. This type of love that personally wants to speak to each person here and say, I simply love you and you are my child. And John would say, and this is our church verse, by the way, in John 1.14, the word became flesh and blood and made his dwelling among us. He moved into the neighborhood. See that the eternal, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, stepped out of his privileged place in heaven and walked among us. This verse actually, when it says that he dwelt among us, um, I'm going to get kind of nerdy for a second. That word dwell is, in the Greek, it's tabernacled. And if you go through the Old Testament, that has huge implications. But what it really means in layman's terms is that he pitched a tent and he hung out and went camping with us. That's what it means, is that he went over to rough it with us. That's what he was doing. Just the, the, the um, Hebrews, as they left Egypt, tabernacled in the desert because they pitched tents and they, those were tabernacles. And that's what God did with us. When he stepped into this world, he didn't go into the most elite, the fanciest, the, the nicest palaces. He came to where the normal people were. He went to the common man, the common woman, and said, I love you. And when you see this Jesus, the, the, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 1, it says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Colossians 1.15, the sun is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. That's who stepped out of heaven and into earth. What the New Testament is trying to tell us is that when you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. And he stepped into the world to be a part of our lives. Christmas is more than just opening gifts. It's more than just getting a good dinner with family. It's more than putting up a tree or some lights. It's remembering the story that is the pivot on which the story of humanity turns. It's remembering that on that day, all of humanity changed because God stepped into the world. Our entire story changed. Our entire calendar would change. Our entire world would change. Everything that we did changed on that day. It's the pivot. And he made his dwelling among us because he loved us, because he wanted to show us the light of life.
And like I said before, many of us have these stories that we could tell. Many of us have stories that when we get together, we share. But the Bible tells us a story that is not just a cute story, but a divine rescue plan that came on Christmas Day. That there is, you know, when when God comes to us, there's a sense when you look through the Old Testament that we're not worthy. Isaiah stands before God and says, and, and Isaiah's a good guy, you know, he's a prophet. Like he's wrote an entire book in the Bible. You'd think this guy's got five stars in heaven or something like that. He's got A++. He stands before God and says, Lord, I am not worthy. I'm a man of unclean lips. But he comes to us. And it's not just a fairy tale. It's a story rooted in verifiable historical fact that in those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that took place when Canarius was the governor of Syria, when Herod was king of the Jews in the land of Israel, in a town of Bethlehem. It's a story that has huge implications on our life. And so today as we go through what those are, I want to remind us that each person each of us give ourselves to something. Some of us give ourselves to video games. Some of you give, give yourselves to, to certain activities. Some of you give your mind to certain things. But what if the central thrust of Scripture, the central thrust of the story, is that God simply wants a relationship with humanity and that that is something that we could give ourselves to? See, I think that's the case, and I think that's what Christmas is about. I want to encourage you today to consider what do you give yourself to? What is it that you give yourself to? He stepped out of heaven because he loves you and wants a relationship with you. He came to earth and died for you so that your sin wouldn't define you anymore. He rose again so that the power of guilt could be broken. He defeated the devil. He's the author of life. He's adopted you into sonship. And lastly, no darkness can overcome the author of life. No darkness can overcome the light of life. Jesus is the light. All the way through the New Testament, we see that theme over and over and over again, that Jesus is the light. And tonight, one of the things that we'll do, and we do this every year, is that as a congregation, we sing Silent Night together. And we start by, I'll light my candle from the Christ candle, and I'll ask a few people over here, and over here, maybe there's the first people on the edge of the rows to come forward and help me, and they'll light their candles, and we'll pass this back to the entire congregation. And we will remember that we are called to be the light of the world. And that when we are the light of the world together, when we follow Jesus, that no darkness can overcome that. That's what we're called to be. I want to encourage you to give yourself to Jesus, to surrender your life to the author of life, and to simply say, Jesus, I'm yours. I want to follow you. So maybe you, you could just simply do that in a prayer. And we're going to close in a time of prayer right now, and I'm going to ask John to lead us in silent night. But I'll begin by 
having this prayer. And if you would like to accept Jesus as your Savior, I simply would just invite you to pray that right where you're at. And if you don't live around here, get connected to a church. And if you do, come to this one. We'll get you connected. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the author of life. We thank you that you sent your son to us. Lord, we thank you that as we take a step back and and we look at this story, we see that this is actually the pivot on which all of humanity turns. Lord, this part of your story changed everything because you came to us. So many other religions is about us pacifying the gods. But Lord, you came to us and said, there's nothing you could do. My grace is sufficient. I love you. Father, if there's anybody here who simply needs to give themselves over to you, to surrender their life, to place their confidence in you, I pray that they would simply just pray this prayer. God, I surrender myself to you. I give myself to your kingdom. Help me to learn more about you and to follow you in faithfulness. In your name we pray. Amen.